0: Slow Burn Media, an evergreen podcast, presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Hello and welcome to episode 200 and something of Who Killed. I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media, Killer Podcasts, and Evergreen Podcast production. On this week's episode, we are going to take a look back at the mystery of the Sodder family and the Christmas fire that... Is absolutely a mystery. With that being said, let's jump into this wild and crazy mystery that happened many years ago but still remains a mystery to this day, and that is the Sodder Family Christmas Fire. On this week's episode, we will take a look back at a mysterious fire in 1945 that broke out on Christmas Eve at the Sodder Family home in West Virginia. One of my main sources for this story comes from an article written in the New York Post from 1975 detailing the strange circumstances surrounding this fire. George and Jenny Sodder were typically on the stricter side of things, but this was Christmas Eve after all, so they let their children stay up late. Now, the kids had received their presents earlier in the evening, so needless to say, they were excited and wanted to play with their new toys. Now, the parents went to bed approximately at 10.30 p.m., now, reports vary on when this happened, but we'll say mi- midnight. The phone rang, and Mrs. Sodder answered it. There was a woman on the other end of the phone and said she was, must have had the wrong number. And then she heard people laughing in the background and had decided that it must have been a prank call. So Mrs. Sodder went back to bed. And about 90 minutes later... At roughly 1.30 a.m., she was woken up again when she heard something land on the roof. Now, if the kids would have heard this, they may have thought Santa was on the roof, but she was a grown woman, so she discredited it and tried to go back to sleep. But, unfortunately, that's when all hell broke loose. Jenny began to smell smoke, and it was filling the room. And this was when she realized the house was on fire. And I can't imagine the fear Mrs. Soder must have felt knowing she had ten children to make sure survived this fire. She yelled to her husband, who ran outside to get water from the well. Marion, daughter, was awake, and she carried the three-year-old Sylvia to safety. Two of the older boys, George and John, also appeared. But there was no sign of the other five children, aged five to fourteen. Unfortunately, George discovered that the well was frozen. His next thought was to use the ladder he had used to reach the attic. At this point, the parents feared the other five children were trapped up there. And as if things couldn't get worse, the ladder was actually nowhere to be found. So, stricken with fear, all the Siders could do was really watch their house burn to the ground. And there was no sign of the five children. They were not outside, and any effort to spot them through the fire or the windows of the blazing house failed. So all they could do, it seemed, was to try to keep warm and wait for the dawn of Christmas Day. And according to reports from the scene, neighbors did bring food and comfort to the Sader family, and they also helped raise $1,500 to help the family with the bills. In the Post article... Curious facts about the Christmas fire had begun to emerge. It was discovered that the telephone lines around the house had been cut. Now, the fire was blamed by investigators on faulty wiring, yet the wiring was newly installed and during the fire, the house lights had remained on. Now, a local bus driver had reported seeing balls of fire being tossed onto the roof of the Sodder home. And much later, Jenny Soder found a hard rubber object looking like a green pineapple in the ruins of the house. Now, army personnel, she said later, identified it as an incendiary device. But again, the greatest mystery was what was not found. Authorities decided that the five children perished in the blaze. Yet, no remains, no bones, no human tissue were ever found. In the same post article, a belief grew in Mrs. Sodder's mind, and she became convinced that the five children had been kidnapped and that the fire was a cover for the abduction of the youngsters. Now, the Sodders built a house, a new house, near the ruins of the old house, and they set up an enormous poster, which would look like a memorial or a shrine for the missing children. And this enormous poster had the pictures of the faces of the five children, Maurice, Martha, Louis, Jenny, and Betty. And together with a picture of a grown man. Now, the grown man is Louis, but we'll talk about that later. The last picture, Mrs. Satter believes, is that of Louis. And, okay, we'll talk about it now. Because, basically, she received this anonymous letter. And it was supposedly of Louis. So... Again, she replaced the young picture with the new picture, and that's where things stood for a long time. Above the pictures is a plea. Quote, After 30 years, it is not too late to investigate. And below the pictures is a story about the fire, and questions are asked. Quote, What was the motive of the law officers involved? What did they have to gain by making us suffer these years of injustice? Why did they lie and force us to accept those lies? The Sodders claimed that police refused to investigate, so the family hired private investigators. This wasn't on a whim, as the Sodders believed that they had a good reason. After the fire, a Charleston hotel owner reported seeing four young children in the company of Italian-speaking adults. A motel operator halfway between Fayetteville and Charleston also reported seeing the youngsters. Now, you're probably assuming at this point the bodies must have been turned to ash. But the Sodder spoke to cremation companies, which said that even if the bodies are exposed to a temperature of 2,000 degrees for two hours, bones remain intact. And on December 26, 1945, the Associated Press went with the story and reported that the five children had died in the fire. They go on to say five of the 10 children of Mr. and Mrs. George Soder were burned to death today when a Christmas Day fire destroyed their two-story frame home two miles north of Fayetteville, State Trooper F.E. Springer reported. The victims, ranging in age from 6 to 15, were trapped on the top floor of their home, and despite the frantic effort of their parents and other brothers and sisters to rescue them, again, this is what the Associated Press reported, and Springer identified the dead children as Maurice, Martha, Lee, Louis, Jenny, and Betty. Now, four other children and the parents had fled to safety, and basically uh, in their night clothing, and I would assume that that is referring to their pajamas, and... Another son that they had was actually in the Army, I believe, and he was serving, uh, I believe, in the Pacific. And again, according to an article from the NPR, National Public Radio, another unusual event occurred during the fire, and that was when neighbors reached Chief F.J. Morris at the Fayetteville Fire Department a little after 1 a.m., And by then, it was already Christmas. Firefighters were told that the children were trapped inside, but no fire truck was sent until 8 a.m., seven hours later. Now, Chief Morris has passed away, but another retired fire chief tried to explain to the uh, article in NPR about the delay, and he says the fire department didn't even have a siren back then. When somebody called to report an incident, An operator would take the call and rouse a firefighter, who would then have to reach fellow firefighters one by one. Now, again, strange events surrounded that night. And according to NPR, what happened next unfolded in such a way as to almost guarantee that the Sodder family fire would forever be surrounded by misinformation as well as rumors and just plain old wishful thinking because all that remained of the house was a basement full of ashes. A brief informal search took place, but instead of the skeletons they expected to find, firefighters encountered just a few bones and pieces of internal organs. Now, the family was never told that anything was found, because it was Christmas, a more thorough search was postponed. The fire marshal told the Sodder family to leave the site as it was. He said authorities would come back and finish inspecting things later. But George Soder had other ideas. He ignored the fire marshal, and less than a week after the fire, he bulldozed four or five feet of dirt onto what was left of the home, and the family planted flowers as a shrine to their lost children. And two years later, George Soder saw a newspaper photo of school children in New York City, and he became convinced that one of the children was his missing daughter, Betty, And he was so convinced that he actually jumped in his pickup and drove all the way to Manhattan. Despite his insistence, he was not even allowed to see the child. But again, the Sodders became convinced that... Now, around the same time, Fayetteville Fire Chief Morris added a bizarre twist to the story. And according to Unsolved Murders author Bragg, Morris told Sodders that he had recovered a body part from the site of the fire and buried it in a box there. Now, if the box of remains could be recovered, that would be proof that the children had died that night. The family could finally move on. George Sodder and a private investigator asked Morris to show them where he'd buried the box. Quote, they got together and dug up the box, Bragg said. Quote, they took it to a a funeral home, and asked the person in charge there to open the box and examine the interior. And when he did open the box, what he found was what looked like a fresh beef liver. And, again, never a good situation when you have a police chief that's basically, I guess, contaminating a crime scene or a potential crime scene by putting his own little twist on things. And I think that is not necessarily a professional way of going about an investigation. And during all this is when newspapers got a hold of this story. And that's when strangers began reporting that they'd seen the solder kids around the country. None of the leads went anywhere. Now, for decades, there was a huge reminder of the tragedy at, that stood at the site. And that, that poster that they originally put up became a billboard. And the solders had purchased the billboard in 1952. And as I mentioned before, it featured black and white photographs of each of the missing children and an account of the fire. It also offered a $5,000 reward for information leading to the recovery of any or all of their children. Now, for years, people would pull over and walk up to the billboard. Quote, when you walked up to that sign, you were looking right into the faces of the children, he says. The billboard actually fed new rumors. One of the rumors was that the children had been sold to an orphanage. The other was that they were taken to Italy. Some even suggested the mafia had somehow been involved. Despite no solid leads, the Satter family held on to hope. And during the fire, no one had seen the children at the windows crying for help. And again, that's not unusual, though, according to West Virginia State Fire Marshal Sterling Lewis. He says that when young children feel heat and smell smoke, they're likely to hide. Quote, we find them under beds. We find them in closets. We find them crawled up in the bathtubs, Lewis says. Now, for the rest of his life, George Sodder traveled the country tracking down rumors of his missing kids. He died in 1969. His wife, Jenny, 20 years later. And after her death, the billboard did come down. Now, the youngest child who survived the fire, Sylvia Soder Praxton, was not interested in being recorded for NPR's story. But what she did want was to fulfill her parents' wish to keep the story alive. So every Christmas, the people of Fayetteville go over what happened that night, repeating the same reasons for believing their ver- version of the story. But without physical evidence, they cannot say for sure. But fire professionals... Are convinced that the blaze took place in 1945 and probably cost the soldered children their lives. But for some reason, the children died 60 years ago. And again, there was no bones, no bones, no bodies. This is unusual, unfortunately, and a mystery because, you know, for the family and many of the neighbors who grew up looking at the soldered children and who firmly believe that children are still out there, this, you know, this is a mystery that they're basically left hoping every Christmas that they'll come home. And again, you know, the five children were sleeping in the second story, and all efforts to reach them were in vain. And witnesses even said that, later testified, they did not see any of the five children. And again, they didn't hear any screams. The fire chief and others searched the debris but found no evidence of bones or burned flesh. Now, again, fire chief F.J. Morris suggested some ashes should be placed in a box and a funeral conducted. But the family later filled in the basement, as I mentioned, and preserved it as a tomb. Now, the family, although not thoroughly satisfied about the inability to find any evidence of the children did nothing until 1947 when they learned that Fire Chief Morris had told some people he had found a heart in the debris. And as I mentioned before, this started an investigation which later reached to Florida and Italy and placed the Fire Chief in a position which he was never really thoroughly able to explain. Morris had basically told the family he had placed the heart in a box and buried it. Now again, the box was dug up, as I said before, and it was determined to be Uh, a liver of a small animal. Now, again, the box and the contents disappeared from the funeral home where it had been taken. And again, that is just another mystery in this crazy saga. Now, what happened was the family then employed a pathologist from the Smithsonian Institute to comb the basement and debris. Now, he did report that there were no trace of human bone or flesh that could be found. And this report spurred the family into hiring more private investigators to track down any clue that they could come about. They spent at least $10,000 on investigations of theories into what happened to their children. Now, there were reports that the children had been seen in Cortez, Florida, but Sheriff Baden and the FBI investigated and declared that there was really no evidence to substantiate this claim. And the investigation around Cortez was kept alive by reports from a Tampa private detective agency employed by the Sodders, which kept reporting that it had strong evidence that the children were either in Cortez or had been there after the fire. The Sodders eventually forced three investigations in the state of West Virginia. In 1952, Colonel W.E. Burchett, director of the Public Safety of West Virginia, conducted the last hearing, taking testimony from four private investigators. After the hearing... Sodders declared the investigation would go on and asked Burkett, on what basis do you form your opinion that the children perished in the fire? And no one could give an answer. Investigators for the state and FBI have never been able to produce the slightest bit of evidence that the children actually died in the fire. The investigators were left to answer a question that had no answer. They couldn't find a reason why anyone would want to kidnap the children, and it also seems impossible that they could have run out of the house without waking other family members. And again, this was a small home and 10 children, somebody would have woken up. Now, George Soder was a contractor and a strip minder, and he was able to provide enough money for a family of 10. And again, they certainly weren't rich. But they didn't have any insurance on their children, so there really wasn't any reason there for them to commit any crimes. And the family did not appear to have any enemies which would either attempt to kidnap the children or burn down the house. Now, the assistant fire marshal for the state wrote in a report that it was impossible to to determine the actual origin of the fire, despite before being blamed on electrical issues. And again, no motive or evidence of arson has been found and no outstanding hazard is known which might have resulted in the accidental fire. And that's what the fire marshal wrote. And then the fire marshal also took the private investigators to task for hampering the investigation and accused them of stripping the Sodder family of money based on false leads. Disappointingly, a review of the reports sent to the family by the Tampa firm shows many misspelled words, exceptionally poor grammar, and very little factual evidence. Although the reports constantly hold out hope that important discoveries are about to be made. When asked if the Soder family are still hopeful that the children will be found, the family said, yes, they are. The last I heard, they will never give up. And... In a Daily News article from October 17th in 1976, they covered the case again, and according to the Daily News in 1976, one of Mrs. Sodder's remaining sons, John, believes that somewhere in the case is an Italian connection. Now, Mrs. Sodder had been born in Troy, Italy, coming to the U.S. in 1905 at the age of two. Her husband, who died in 1969, was born in Sardinia. He changed his name from Sadu to Sadr after arriving in America. Without much real evidence, John believes his brothers and sisters were taken to Italy. Now, supporting this theory is the report of Italian-speaking adults seen with the children after the fire. And as I mentioned before, a hotel employee said he saw adults showing hostility to a group of children. Now, the private investigators followed those slim leads mentioned earlier. And again, they round ended up in Cortez, Florida, where they found people who claimed to have seen the youngsters a few months after the fire. Now, John Sodder believes the children were taken to Florida and from that state to Italy. Again, no evidence is available or exists. So, Mrs. Sodder's remaining children all believe that the siblings were kidnapped quote we watched the fire level our house said marion now marion crowder of cleveland quote we thought at first the children had gotten trapped inside but you know i never smelled burning flesh and they say you can smell burning flesh miles away unquote now george Soder, who still lives near his mother and in 1976 this was quote we excavated and sifted thoroughly through everything, but we found nothing. My brothers and sisters didn't die in that fire. There was something else that came back to Mrs. Sodder after the fire. Quote, a few months before, she had recalled a man who had parked his car across the road and had watched the Sodder children intently get off the bus. Quote, I never said anything to him because it's none of my business of what people do off of my property, unquote. And again, she did not know this man and does not know if there was any connection, but she believes the kidnappers, if there were kidnappers, must have been familiar to the children. Quote, if it was a stranger, she said, the children would have screamed, but nobody heard any screams. So whatever the truth of the mystery, Jenny Sauter, 30 years later, remains determined to plumb its depths. I'm going to keep on trying, she said. I want this case reopened. I want my children back, or at least I want to let them know who their real mother is. I know they're alive. Again, this is 1976. As I mentioned before, there was a billboard that was purchased by the Sodder family in 1952, and that billboard stayed erected for nearly four decades so anyone driving down route 16 near fayetteville west virginia would actually see the billboard bearing the images of the children you know all black and white photos and again this is four decades that this thing stood on the highway and there is still no evidence about what happened to them and according to the smithsonian article Fayetteville was and is a small town, with a main street that doesn't run longer than 100 yards. And rumors always played a larger role in the case than evidence. No one even agreed on whether the children were dead or alive. And let's take a moment to hear from our sponsors. Welcome back! What everyone knew for certain was this. On the night before Christmas, 1945, George and Jenny Sodder and nine of their ten children went to sleep and around 1 a.m., a fire broke out. George and Jenny and four of the children escaped, but the other five were never seen again. Again, his daughter Marion sprinted to a neighbor's home to call the Fayetteville Fire Department, but couldn't get any operator response. A neighbor who saw the blaze made a call from a nearby tavern, but again, no operator responded. But this neighbor then drove into town and tracked down the fire chief, F.J. Morris, who initiated Fayetteville's version of a fire alarm. As I mentioned before, a quote-unquote phone tree system, whereby one firefighter phoned another who phoned another. The fire department was only two and a half miles away, but as I mentioned in the first part of this episode, the crew didn't arrive until 8 a.m., by which point the Sodders' home had been reduced to a smoking pile of rubble. Now, George and Jenny assumed that The five of their children were dead, as I mentioned before. But again, and that brief search on Christmas Day turned up no remains. Now, again, the chief of the fire department, Chief Morris, suggested that the blaze had been hot enough to completely cremate the the bodies, and a state police inspector combed the rubble and made the controversial decision where he attributed the fire to faulty wiring. And then, then that's when the coroner issued five death certificates just before the new year attributing the causes of death as fire or suffocation. Now, again, George Soder was born Giorgio Sadu in Tula, Sardinia in 1895 and immigrated to the United States in 1908 when he was only 13. Now, he had an older brother who had accompanied him to Ellis Island But he immediately returned to Italy, leaving George to fend for himself. Now, he did find work on the Pennsylvania railroads, carrying water and supplies to the laborers, and after a few years was able to move to Smithers, West Virginia. Smart and ambitious, he first worked as a driver and then launched his own trucking company, hauling dirt for construction and later freight and coal. And one day he walked into a local store called the music box and met the owner's daughter and this was jenny cipriani who had come over from italy when she was three now again this is how they met and it's interesting that they're both italian and the kids are convinced that this has some connection to the mafia or italy or uh some wild conspiracy so i mean you can see where they can spin these tales but again occam's razor we're going to always fall back on and that is the most likely conclusion is the conclusion and again uh i'm not one to argue with the solders though and so they actually had 10 children between 1923 and 1943 that is insane and you know they did settle in Fayetteville, West Virginia, which was an Appalachian town, which was small but active and had an Italian immigrant community. Now, the Sodders were said by one county magistrate, quote, one of the most respected middle class families around, unquote. And this is all in the Smithsonian article about the Sodder family fire. And that was a great resource for this episode. And George held strong opinions about everything from business to current events and politics, but was, for some reason, reticent to talk about his youth. He never explained what happened back in Italy to make him want to leave. But again, America was kind of the hot place to be. So the Sodders as I mentioned before, had planted flowers across the space where their house had stood and began to stitch together a series of odd moments leading up to the fire. And again, this is where that stranger who appeared at the home a few months earlier and back in the fall asking about hauling work, he meandered to the back of the house, pointed to two separate fuse boxes and said, quote, this is going to cause a fire someday, unquote. Strange, George thought, especially since he had just had the wiring checked by the local power company, which pronounced it fine in working condition. And around the same time, another man tried to sell the family life insurance and became irate when George declined. Quote, your goddamn house is going to go up in smoke, he warned, and quote, your children are going to be destroyed. You are going to be paid for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. Unquote. George was indeed outspoken about his dislike for the Italian dictator and definitely got into some heated arguments with other members of the Fayetteville Italian community. And again, this is all out of the Smithsonian article. And definitely, Sodder did not take this man's threat seriously. Now, the older Sodder sons also recalled something peculiar just before Christmas. And that was when they noticed this man, that's the man I mentioned before that Mrs. Sodder had remembered, parked along US Highway 21 watching the kids as they came home from school. Now, Mrs. Sodder couldn't understand how five children could perish in a fire and leave no bones, no flesh, nothing. So, according to the Smithsonian article, she conducted her own private experiment burning animal bones, chicken bones, beef joints, pork. Chop bones to see if the fire consumed them, and each time she was left with a heap of charred bones. Now, the collection of odd moments continued to grow. A telephone repairman told the sodders that their lines appeared to have been cut, not burned, and they realized that if the fire had been electrical, the result of quote unquote faulty wiring, as the official report had stated, then the power would have been dead. And as I mentioned before, why would that, why would the lights still be on in the downstairs rooms? Now, a witness did come forward claiming he saw a man at the fire scene taking a block and tackle used for removing car engines. Now, could he be the reason George's trucks refused to start? Now, that's another mystery. And one day while the family was visiting the site, this is when They found the rubber object in the yard, and Jenny recalled hearing the hard thud on the roof and the rolling sound. George had concluded it must have been a napalm pineapple bomb of the type that was used in warfare. And again, as I mentioned before, she did go to Army personnel who had told her that it was an incendiary device. So then came the reports of sightings. A woman claimed to have seen the missing children peering from a passing car while the fire was in progress. A woman operating a tourist stop between Fayetteville and Charleston, some 50 miles west, said she saw the children the morning after the fire. Quote, I served them breakfast, she told police. There was a car with Florida license plates at the tourist court, too. Now, a woman at a Charleston hotel, again, same woman from before, said she saw the children's photos in a newspaper and said that she had seen four of the five a week after the fire. Now, the children were again accompanied by two women and two men, and once again, all of Italian descent. And she said in a statement, quote, I do not remember the exact date. However, the entire party did register at the hotel and stayed in a larger room with several beds. They registered about midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to these children. Now, one of the men looked at me in a hostile manner, he turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out, and so I said nothing more. They left early the next morning. In 1947, George and Jenny Sodder sent a letter to the FBI and actually received a reply from the one and only J. Edgar Hoover. Quote, Although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau, Hoover's agents said they would assist if they could get permission from the local authorities. But the Fayetteville police and fire department departments declined the offer. Next, the Sodders again turned to a private investigator named C.C. Tinsley, who discovered that the insurance salesman who had threatened George was a member of the coroner's jury that deemed the fire accidental. In August 1949, the Sodders decided to mount a new search at the fire scene, and they brought in a Washington, D.C. pathologist named Oscar B. Hunter, the Excavation was thorough, uncovering several small objects, damaged coins, a partly burned dictionary, and several shards of vertebrae. Hunter sent the bones to the Smithsonian Institution, which issued the following report Quote, The human bones consist of four lumbar vertebrae belonging to one individual. Since the transverse recesses are fused, the age of this individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years old. The top limit of the age should be about 22. Since the centra, which normally fuse at 23, are still unfused. On this basis, the bones show greater skeletal maturation than one would expect for a 14 year old boy, and that was the oldest of the missing solder children. It is, however, possible, although not probable, for a boy 14 and a half years old to show 16 to 17 year old maturation. Sounds promising, right? Well, that's the weird thing about this is that the vertebrae showed no evidence that they had been exposed to a fire. The report said, quote, it is very strange that no other bones were found in the allegedly careful excavation of the basement of the house, noting that the house reportedly burned for only about an hour and a half. And it said that one would expect to find full skeletons of the five children rather than only four vertebrae. So the bones, the report concluded, were most likely in the supply of dirt George used to fill in the basement to create his memorial for the children. Now, the Smithsonian report goes on, and it prompted two hearings at the Capitol in Charleston, after which Governor Oki L. Patterson and State Police Superintendent W.E. Burchett told the Siders their search was hopeless and declared the case closed. Undeterred, George and Jenny erected that billboard along Route 16 and continued to pass out flyers as well as continued to offer a reward. Now, again, as I mentioned earlier, A letter arrived from a woman in St. Louis saying the oldest girl, Martha, was in a convent there. And another tip came from Texas, where a patron in a bar overheard an incriminating conversation about a long-ago Christmas Eve fire in West Virginia. Then someone in Florida claimed that children were staying with a distant relative of Jenny's. Now, George, as I mentioned before, traveled the country to investigate each and every lead and never returned home with any answers. Now, in 1968, it was, you know, 20 years after the fire, Jenny went to get the mail and found an envelope addressed only to her. Now, this is what I mentioned earlier in the episode about Louis. It was postmarked in Kentucky but had no return address. Inside was a photo of a man in his mid-20s. On its flip side, a cryptic handwritten note read, Louis Soder, I love brother Frankie. She and George couldn't deny the resemblance to their Louis, who was nine at the time of the fire. Beyond the obvious similarities, dark curly hair, dark brown eyes, they had the same straight, strong nose, the same upward tilt of the left eyebrow. As they were desperate for answers, the Sodders once again hired private detectives and sent him to Kentucky. But like the investigators in Tampa... The Siders actually never heard from him again and basically were ripped off. Now, the Siders feared that if they had published the letter or the name of the town on the postmark, that actually might harm their son. So instead, they amended the billboard to include that updated picture of Louis and hung an enlarged version over the fireplace. Quote, time is running out for us. George said in an interview, but we only want to know if they did die in the fire. We want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. Unfortunately, he died just a year later and they were still hoping for a break in the case. So Jenny was now a widow and she erected a fence around her property and began adding rooms to her home, building layer after layer between her and the outside world. And since the fire, she had exclusively worn black as a sign of mourning and continued to do so until her own death in 1989. And this is when the billboard finally came down. Her children and grandchildren continued the investigation and came up with their own theories of their own. One theory, the local mafia had tried to recruit him and he declined. Another theory is they tried to extort money from him and that he refused. Another theory, possibility the children were kidnapped by someone they knew someone who burst into the unlocked front door told them about the fire and offered to take them someplace safe now they might not have survived that night if they had and if they lived for decades if it really was lewis in that photograph they never contacted their parents and that's just odd so The youngest and the last surviving solder child, Sylvia, doesn't believe her siblings perished in the fire. And, you know, she does go on crime sleuthing websites every once in a while to see if there's any information or updates on the case. Now, she was only two years old when the fire broke out, but she'll never forget the sight of her father bleeding and the terrible, terrible screams that she heard that night. And again... The thing about this case that is so mysterious is the fact that it's not a murder. It's not a murder mystery. It's not a whodunit. It's a where the hell are these kids? And what happened on Christmas Eve in 1945 in Fayetteville, West Virginia? I mean, this is an absolute mystery. And the fact that these five kids were never, ever seen again and the sightings were never confirmed, I'm left to be To believe that they probably did die in the fire. But again, it doesn't explain why there isn't any evidence about their bodies being there. I mean, like I mentioned throughout this episode, a body needs to reach a certain temperature for it to be cremated. And again, there's no way this fire reached that temperature. And even the experts said that there would at least be leftover bone and even anybody who's dealt with cremation, whether it be a pet or a loved one or whatever, knows that it's not just ash. You know, it there is more in that box than just ash. So we here in the true crime podcasting world, we look at this story and we look at it with skeptical eyes, because it sounds like these kids were probably kidnapped or killed or something along those lines but why we have no reason to suspect why and who we have no idea who so on this christmas day 2020 i wanted to leave you guys with a story that basically wasn't about all doom and gloom but was more of a mysterious unknown and again where are the five solder f- children? Where are the five solder family children? I mean, that is the bottom line. And the longer this case continues to go on and without any answers, the more likely it is it will remain a mystery. So, again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Who Killed?, And I hope you guys have a wonderful holiday, whatever holiday it is that you do celebrate. And I want you to know that if you guys want to help support the show, you can do so by donating via PayPal, or you can donate via Venmo with my username, bill-huffman-3. And again, any contribution helps keep these shows running. And again, if you guys would like to stay up to date on the shows that I have coming down the pipeline and that sh- basically updates on cases that I have covered, please go ahead and follow me on Twitter at bill Huffman three. So once again, thank you so much for listening this week and this holiday week. And I hope that every one of you will stay healthy and be safe.